0: Nordic Food Lab Radio. Entomophagy, the practice of eating insects, especially by people. This definition sounds like something homogenous, but I hope that as you've listened to the thoughts from the Field Series, you've seen the huge range of real-life practices, people, and tastes that make entomophagy anything but uniform. What do bush coconuts in the Australian outback have in common with Ugandan termites half a world away? Instead of treating insects as a homogeneous category, we should appreciate these diverse practices and find the common threads that can help us cultivate our own tastes for insects in the future. In the final installment of Thoughts from the Field, you'll hear all about the lab's time in Mexico. This piece features Josh Evans as our narrator, as well as Ben Reed, Jose Carlos Redon, Alessandro Spagnolo, Armando Soria Castaneda, and Enrique Oliveira. Take it away, Josh.
1: A few of us, we were sort of a little troop of people. We went out into the desert. Hmm. Yo,
0: how you doing? I'm just going to check this place out. I'm excited.
1: It was so beautiful all different types of cacti everywhere. Some of them were in bloom. There were like huge agave plants everywhere. And when the agave plant blooms, it sends up a huge stalk meters high with a huge flower on the end. It's like, just looks like Dr. Seuss. But we were mainly in Mexico at that point because it was the perfect season for Escamoles, which are the eggs of the queens of a certain type of ant. And they are magnificent. And it's this huge delicacy in Mexico in many areas. It fetches like hundreds of pesos per kilo. We have have a friend named Jose Carlos who lives in Mexico City, but also has a educational farm space with his uncle like an hour north of the city in Hidalgo.
0: So what's the aim of this place?
1: We're kind of a nursery here for these insects. They were sort of disappearing. We started with the eggs, with the ant eggs, with the escamoles. Right. And it was a huge bet because we didn't know if we would be able to keep the nests, you know. And uh, so we had to study for like a year before we even had one nest. We started going around to a few of the hives that they manage. The ants always seem to build their colonies underneath a big agave plant. At least most of the ones we found. Or maybe they just chose that because they were convenient. I don't know what correlation is.
0: You see the ant? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. We call this caminito, little way. There are three or four ways in Mm -hmm. each direction, in any direction.
1: But so they had the hole dug out, and then they had stuffed it with the dry membrane of a prickly pear cactus. When it dries, it has this like web-like structure and it's this like light but strong thing. So they sort of pack it full of that and cover it up again so that when it comes time to harvest, they sort of unpack this hole and then they have access directly into the heart of the hive.
0: You must okay. do this with the hand. Okay. Gently, very gently. Okay. Pick up. Okay. okay.
1: And then you, you sort of get down your hands and knees and you use sections of agave leaf as like a paddle sort of to scoop these eggs along with soil, delicately out of the nest and then into a bucket. And they let Ben and me try. Can you show me?
0: Do I want to dig in there? You have to (laughs) tuck your shoes, (laughs) Uh, your socks. Ah, cause all the ants will get me. Everything in this place either bites you or spikes you. (laughs) That's the choice. Ah, fuck. Yeah, they're biting me now. Well, I got a few. I didn't get that many. Fuckers, they're biting me everywhere. There's one on the ground over there. Watch out. You just dropped two kronas. Two krona each? Fucking hell. It's just like... I told you. Yeah, you told me. You were right.
1: You stick your head in it and immediately the smell hits you. It's like this hole opens up and it smells like a little bit sour and... But more like animal, like musky, pungent sort of. It was so great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, baby, <okay>. oh. <laughs> the smell is just all up in your face. You can't breathe with that. Wow! It smells amazing. Ben said it smelled like vagina for him. You know, diversity of tastes. Let's see, what like a pupa. Okay. This yeah, one's yeah. definitely pupa. This one's a larva. Yeah, you can. Know, I'll swap you. Oh, thanks. What are you
0: going for first? You You're going for Whoa. a larva? Okay, Oh wow.
1: It has such a distinct flavor. What is that flavor? And the taste of fresh Escamoles for me is sort of like a like an aged goat's milk blue cheese. It sort of has that like animal thing that you get from goat milk and the lightness of goat milk. It's very low in fat and then also that like pungent, like spicy thing. So we went back to the house, to the farm. They showed us how they washed them in water to remove all of the soil and the debris, and they pushed them down, and then the eggs float, and they scoop them out. Can I try? So timing and we made loads of things with them. We just had this great big cookout, and did this local dish from Hidalgo called shimbo, which is in the local dialect which is like, you take a big agave leaf and you sort of trim it down so it's pliable. Fill it with lots of different things. We had a like a neighbor's rooster, <laughs> cut that up and put in some escamoles and some onions and wrapped it up and tied it up and then buried it underneath the embers of a fire and let it cook. And it, we took it out and it was so like, juicy. It had like absorbed all of this juice from the agave and the escamoles were like plump, but a little bit softer and Uh, We also made one of Jose Carlos's favorite dishes, it's really simple, just like scrambling some eggs and tossing in some escamoles at the end and putting in some aloe blossoms, some aloe flowers. These like beautiful orange, like crunchy, substantial sort of flower buds before they open. And the heat sort of makes them a bit tender and that texture interacting with the popping of the Escamoles and all the flavors and egg binding it all together. And we garnish that with some like fresh cactus flowers, just like these like beautiful, white, delicate flowers. Yeah. Just seeing how, again, seeing how this one thing was really part of this really big system where it's at the time of year where the cactuses are blooming, so you eat them with that. And there's eggs, you eat them with that. And you have the fire and, like eating Escamoles with chicken wrapped in the cactus under the fire. Like, that is a dish. And that's not an accident. That's not a coincidence. That's because people are keeping chickens around too. Because it makes sense in that context. Escamoles are so sought after. that You can find them all year long in restaurants, and they're such a delicacy. They can go as to um, maybe... uh, Fifty euro for a plate or something of uh, escamoles when they're off season. Yeah. Uh, so do they just freeze them? They and just keep freeze them all year. Exactly. Okay. They freeze them, keep them all year, uh, and uh, actually that damages the quality, the freshness, the sure. flavor. Yeah. And uh, it's not, after a while, you're not getting what you're paying for.
0: Like, of course, if the price gets so high, then something can get hunted into extinction, right? So then you can basically, like, completely ruin a natural ecosystem. People start thinking, for example, insects are sustainable. So then anything you do with insects is sustainable. Automatic. But what would be ideal is to, you know, work out the, the, the sustainability of it, like, properly.
1: In a full circle, you know, helping the families that know how to gather them, putting them in the restaurants, that know how to cook them, uh, and then give it to the people that uh, love to eat them. Escamole, it's not something that's cultivated. It's something that's wild, and so as it becomes a delicacy, it's tragedy of the commons. And this is a wild resource, it's a natural resource. If it's not managed, then it will, it will be destroyed. And it's a perfect example of where the pursuit of deliciousness actually is ecologically destructive.
0: I see insects as, a, as a, something that is special. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with the escamoles. The escamoles, not, not everybody can eat escamoles because they're not widely available and because it's,
1: uh, it's expensive. So, uh, Jose Carlos is trying to make like a, a cooperative, like a consortium of Escamoleros, to try and manage it as a natural resource. And you could also see the challenges of trying to make this cooperative, because like one of the hives we went to, it was clear that it had just been harvested. But because it's public land, it's not something that Jose Carlos can control directly. He can't say, oh, someone's trespassing, because it's commonly owned land. So. You know, it's a fantastic idea, and I really hope that he's able to develop it further because a lot of the traditional context of procuring insects, let's say, from nature, humans aren't selecting for the organism, but they are creating its habitat. They're very actively managing its habitat. And so these Eskimos are one such thing where you can't really say it's a wild product in the strictest sense, but you also can't really say like it's a domesticated insect. It's something in between. And when it comes to truly sustainable implementation of production of insects in a cultural space, like I would say this has a lot of potential because it's these semi-cultivation methods are really diverse. A lot of them already exist. And if they're managed well, they can produce a lot of food without compromising the habitat, without compromising the environment. And in some cases they can actually enhance the habitat for other things too, like we talked about with Tom's termites, you know.
0: It's very interesting, the idea, the focus on cultivating habitat rather than cultivating products. Totally,
1: yeah. And I think when we talk about cultivation, like we can think of it as semi-cultivation, but that's almost like derogatory or like, it's like, oh, it's sort of half cultivating or whatever. But I think if we think about it as cultivating, but you're cultivating a system rather than cultivating an organism, That to me makes a lot more sense. And the best farmers have the same thing. Like the best farmers, most of them are thinking about something similar where it's like, you're not cultivating cabbage, you're cultivating soil. You're cultivating an ecosystem. And then part of that ecosystem is planting cabbage. And then the cabbage benefits from having a really healthy ecosystem. For me, that is already demonstrably proven to be the best way of going about agriculture. So why should that, principle not also extend to other types of food production. I mean, it absolutely should. And that's the sort of knowledge that we have to try and develop here, too. It's like, how can we produce, how can we have, how can we eat insects in a way that makes sense? And how can we like eat them along with other things, too, that makes sense? How can they be part of our sort of multi-species mural of eating rather than just saying okay we're going to paint over the cow with some grasshoppers like no that doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense to me and all of these stories really hammer this point home for me more and more yeah i think that's really what we're trying to do
0: A special thanks to Jose Carlos Redon, Alessandro Spagnolo, Armando Soria Castaneda for hosting the lab in Puerto Mexico and demonstrating their escamoles management practices. Enrique Oliveira and Joaquin Cardoso at Restaurant Pujol in Mexico City for showing us how they use escamoles and other insects in their cooking. Emilia Capca Cortez for showing the lab how to use traditional niximilization methods and for the fantastic tortillas. The community of Puerto Mexico for the excellent company and the poke. And finally, Andreas Johnson, whose footage made the Thoughts from the Field series possible. Nordic Food Lab Radio is written and produced by me, Meredith Hodnott. Thanks for listening.